0: to be found. There is a place where we are safe and sound. He is our anchor, he will not be moved. He is a shelter in the rain. I got it strong No matter what may come our way, never worry.
1: Good morning everybody, those of you in the room, those of you watching online. We are glad to have you with us this morning. Could 2020 get any weirder or what? I mean, it could get weirder, no. The answer is no, it could not get any weirder. We've had the, the virus, uh, we've had hurricanes, we had those killer bees that were still waiting to arrive. Uh, the election is out of control and now we have a Supreme Court justice position over. Welcome to life in the world. You just sang the answer, though, in case you weren't clear. Our God is stronger. He's consistent. And we are to seek first the kingdom of God, and I hope you find hope in the Lord. I, I, last week was the first week we had everybody together and, or invited everybody to come in together. And I know that some of you are still watching at home. It is so refreshing to have in this time of chaos a gathering where everybody is united on one thing. And as we sing and lift our voices up... We are united on our King and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And so gathering together is great. Make sure uh, as you feel safe, I know some of you are at high risk, some of you are caring for people at high risk, so you're still being cautious, and we respect that. But come on back when you're ready. Uh, As we told you last week, we will start uh, our our, uh, preschool child care uh, first Sunday in October. Uh, and then we'll work back over the next three months, three or four months, we'll work back into everything. Everything will be 100% reopened, God willing, in January. So anyway, uh, we're glad to have you with us this morning. Um, this morning, man, this message this week is so encouraging to me, and I'm, I'm glad you've chosen to be with us. The music that Chad and the team is going to be leading us in, um, when we sing Be Enthroned, I want you to think about the statement you're making. You are telling him, I'm putting you on the, on the throne of my life. It's not a question. He's willing, but we're putting him on the throne. So worship with us this morning. Take, take the next hour off from, uh, from the world and just look full in his wonderful face and God willing, the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. And I will get, out of, get you out of here on time today because Julie and I are leaving for a two-week vacation. And... Are you sure it's that they're happy for me? Because they woohooed because they knew for the next couple of weeks there'd be guest preachers. So anyway, so next Sunday, Julie and I are going for one week to New Mexico, and then we're going to go to Colorado for another week. This is like the first time in 20, 24, 25 years we have been alone on a vacation, just Julie and I. Isn't she lucky? Yes. Yes. Yeah, cla- I still don't know why they're clapping. I think they're, I think they're glad we're leaving. Anyway, so next Sunday morning, Zach Wilkie is going to be preaching uh, this world famous, you're not getting out on time today, okay? <laughs> so, and then the following Sunday, Chad is going to preach. <laughs> you, that was disgusting. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so the next few weeks, we are so blessed to have men uh, and, and men and women in this church that can handle the word, and you'll be well fed in the next two weeks. So, and we'll be watching. And back here uh, in a couple weeks, too. But a uh, couple things that I want to I highlight for you. Number one, we're collecting for Godtell. Godtell is one of our local ministries. Uh, they house people who don't have a place to live, as you know. And uh, we are collecting, and I'm going to need a little help with this because I forgot to look, toilet paper, toothpaste, small soap things, things that will minister to those that live at Godtell, paper towels. Uh, Jared, is there anything I'm missing? canned goods, toiletry, paper towels, stuff like that. So we're collecting. And, and we were going to do it two weeks, and this is the second week. But if you, if you want to participate in this and you miss this time, just bring it by the office and we'll make sure they get it. But it's one, a ministry we're proud to be a part of. I do want to remind you that we are doing Operation Christmas Child as we've done every year this year. So we will, uh, we will be doing the receiving and the packing of trucks this year again. So be prepared for that. That is the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, So we got a long time before that, but I did want you to know because some were asking. Um, um, I think think that does it for the announcements except for one more thing I want to say. Over the last six months, while we've been under this quarantine, we have heavily weighed upon social media to get announcements out there. In fact, that's predominantly what we've done. I think I've sent you two emails and a few texts over that time, but we've always been a little afraid of inundating you with emails because of new stuff. But we're going to, while we're still going to be making announcements on Facebook, while we're still going to be live feeding on Facebook, we are going to begin to do more emailing. We have found through these women's Bible studies that there's a lot of women, a lot of you that have either don't have social media or have moved away from it, and it's ugly. I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with it. We post verses and encouraging things on there, but uh, I, I just don't get your feelings sir. but I've deleted most of my friends. Most of my friends have become ugly during this season. And so there are some of you moving away from it. We had a couple of people call this week. And uh, I don't mean physically ugly. You're beautiful. But uh, it's, just, it's just really hard in the political season to keep it mellow and it's going to get nastier. So what we're going to do is while we're still going to be posting on Facebook and, and Instagram, we are going to be putting the most important uh, announcements out there to you. And ladies, you will be getting an email this week from the church office about women's Bible studies. We found a few who don't have it. So that's going to be our, 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 our way of communication. If you're not on Facebook, you don't have to get on there to know what's upcoming. Uh, we are finding also that most people don't listen to the announcement times. So this is going to be the way we communicate to you. So here's my favor. When you get an email from the church, would you please read it? Just, just read it. Uh, we've got an annual business meeting coming up. We're going to give you information about that. But please read the emails you get from the church. And uh, when you get a text, it's going to look like, what is it, 223 or something like that? You're going to get text messages periodically that look like they're random. They may be from the church. So uh, just just look at them, glance at them, and then delete them or whatever. But just so you're in the know, we're trying to find better ways to communicate with you in the new digital world. And, and to be truthful, I've talked to a lot of you before and after service about this. I don't know that we'll ever go back to the way it was before. And and there are people, there's a, a couple classes in our church that have seniors and they're not really showing interest in coming back to this room. I respect that. If you're at high risk, you need to be wise with your family. If you're taking care of somebody with high risk. So uh, with Jeff leading us through this period in the digital stuff, we're, we're figuring out ways to minister more effectively with you online as well. So while it's really important you get back in the room together or your Bible studies together, just to talk and have contact with people, We understand that some of you are not going to be able to do that. So we're going to be discovering ways to communicate with you more effectively. So bear with us, but we need you to not just delete those emails without reading them so you know what's going on. So, okay? Thank you. Thanks. That wasn't nearly as excited as you preaching. So let's pray. Again, we don't do offerings through plates anymore here. Uh, there's boxes as you enter and exit. Uh, you can do it online if it's easier for you. You can even set up regular giving or you can drop it by the church office during the week, open Monday to Friday. Uh, we were closed on Friday for a while, but we're open again. Uh, and uh, But we are in the office. We're trying to keep from... Keep social distancing, so be careful when you come in. We just, we just want to keep everybody healthy and make you feel comfortable. So let's commit our service to the Lord and get back to why we came here. Father, we love you, and I'm thankful for the Word of God that encourages us. Thank you for the songs that we can lift up our voices in unison, almost like a creed, and declare the truth. Uh, that we all agree to. And I pray this morning that as Chad and his team leads us, that we would be blessed, encouraged, and moved. For those who are on vacation this morning, I think of the Bravards and others, Lord, who are taking weekends just to get away with family. And Lord, please keep them safe. Uh, help them enjoy their time as they're able to, to log in and watch. I pray that they'd have church with us and with their families. And may we take responsibility for discipling each other. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
0: As always, if you're in the room, you're more than welcome to stand and worship with us. If you're logging in, uh, we definitely encourage you to don't just be a spectator, actually join in and You are amazing. I got who's unchanging. you're always unfaithful. God right here in not lost, and you will always be like God. The mountain trembles, and the sea stands still at the mention of you. we Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to Him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to Him. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. He holds in His hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to Him, for He made it. His hands form the dry land too come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker for he is our god we are the people he watches over the flock under his care if only you would listen to his voice today who is like our god We spoke and there was life and saw how it should be Who is like our God? You sent His Son to death to set the captive free? We will exalt You. I got the key over all the earth. We will sing, be through with our worship to You by the praise that you'll do, we enthroned, that our worship preach you, like the scent of perfume, lifting you where you belong. Like I got a strength beyond compare and love that knows no end. And who is like I got the ever reigning key always faithful friend? We will exalt you. I got the key. We will sing Be enthroned with our worship to you By the praise that you'll do For oh, be enthroned that our worship preach you Like the scent of perfume Lifting you where you belong to you, by the praise that you'll do, oh, be enthroned, let our worship reach you, the sin of perfume, lifting you where you belong, oh, be enthroned, be enthroned, with our worship to you, by the praise that you'll do. preach you like the sin I perfume, lifting you in of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Sing it again. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. And my song shall ever be How marvelous, how wonderful
1: I think if we do ministry together for the next 50 years I am never going to get tired of hearing you sing gosh I miss that I mean they're good but it's not the same as here y'all and you know I, 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 that song you just sang the reason that the author wrote that is because she, she wanted to sing, us to sing out of God's love for us and he loves you so much I want you to know how much he loves you he does love you even in this weird time and having sending us here at this time and I, I you know what else he loves children and uh, in a few weeks we're going to have child care back and in a few months even GPS back through I think third grade and I'm going to miss having the kids here. And I know, I know, moms, I know you worry about them, but please don't. We're just glad to have them here in this room. And, and uh, this is the way church was supposed to be, by the way. This has become more formal than it was ever intended to be. And uh, if, if your kid is just too distracting for you, or you're afraid people around you, first stick your tongue at somebody if they give you a dirty look, that's okay. Uh, but uh, if you need, we have in the library, we've got overflow, and there's kids books in there, and, and there's, a, there's a TV you can watch, it, or even the Welcome Center, but we want them to stay in here. We're so glad that they're here, so don't you worry about us, and we're just, we're just glad the kids are in the room. Um, every once in a while, if you take your, uh, well, don't, you don't have to turn there, but every once in a while, uh, especially during the Book of Acts, and Julie and I have been talking about this, we're doing a study right now, for those of you who don't know, uh, in the early church from the Book of Acts, uh, and one of the things um, that I'm hoping to do during this is I really want you to see. We did a few years back a study called Out of Stained Glass, uh, and it was a look at the Old Testament patriarchs without the religious, our religious glasses on. Who were these men and women? And you found that they were, they were very fallen men and women. They had major faux pas, but God still used them. And I'm hoping that as we work through Acts, we just finished a study in the life of Jesus Christ uh, from the Gospels, and we saw how awesome he is just how overwhelmingly amazing God is, how wonderful, how worthy he is of our trust. But now we're turning our eyes away from Jesus, not completely, but on his disciples who are, being in, are about to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit and what God does through fallen people. And during this study, I'm hoping periodically to jump out, take a week off based upon what we said the week before, and really kind of talk about something that's very relevant. And boy, is it relevant in our lives what I want to share with you this morning. So when I get back from vacation, and I I know that Chad and Zach are going to be speaking about things we've been talking about and and picking up the text a little bit, but let me start this morning by reading you last week's text, which was Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11, And, and just listen, it's not going to be on the board. My dear Theophilus, in my first book I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. So it's Luke writing to a man named Theophilus. Uh, the first histo- this is a historical book. We learned that last week. In the first, it's a it's a two volume historical birth a book on Jesus and his followers. The first book is the Gospel of Luke, and the second book is Acts. So let me pick it up. So I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach in my first book, until the day he ascended to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions from the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after the crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive. On these occasions, he talked with them about the kingdom of God. In one of these meetings, as he was eating a meal with them, he told them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he promised. Remember, I have told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples that that Luke wants Theophilus to know. When the apostles were with Jesus, even after receiving these instructions, they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now and restore our kingdom? Jesus responded, the Father sets those dates, and you are not, uh, they are not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was not long after he said these things that he was taken up into the sky while they were watching, and he disappeared into a cloud. As they were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring in the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, and someday, just as you saw him go, he'll return. Just not today. After clearly being told by Christ what they were to do, to do, and listen, I, I want to I tell you something. A lot of Christianity is verse here, verse there, throw this around and kind of come up with a philosophy, what would Christ have us do? What would he have us do politically? What would he have us do socially? What would he have us do? The truth is that the instructions that God gave these disciples was extremely clear. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait, and he would send a gift the Holy Spirit, who would empower them for a ministry that they were going to perform. And what was that ministry? You're going to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, then throughout Judea, and then even Samaria, and then even to the uttermost parts of the world. It was a result, though, of them obeying that command, that they would be empowered to do what God called them to do. But their question after being told that was very human. And again, I want to reduce our thoughts of these men, because they're worthy of it and it will make you feel a little better about yourself and usability by God. Even after he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, this gift, I'll empower you then to do what I need you to do, they didn't go. In fact, they didn't talk about what they were supposed to do. They asked him, are you going to restore the kingdom right now? Which was the question they kept asking in the final year of Jesus' ministry. When are you going to set this up so that we can be part of this awesome thing? And they asked him that. When will you restore the kingdom? And if you remember... And Jesus' response to them is, that's really not your business, that's my father's business. But let me tell you something, when you get to Jerusalem, I'm going to sin. He keeps repeating himself, and he actually says to them, and Luke records it, I've already told you this. So in other words, we may be going around and around with the same question, but I'm going to keep giving you the same answer. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, and once you're inhabited by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send you throughout the world, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world, all throughout the world, even into America. Thank God for that, because I want to remind you, America is not the mother church of Christianity. Jerusalem is. We are the uttermost parts of the world. If these men wouldn't have been inhabited by the Holy Spirit... If they wouldn't have gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Judea to Samaria, I'm going to sneeze. Hold on. I do not have the rona. That was just something. Um, But uh, have you been in the stores and somebody sneezes around you and you're like not a believer, but you're like, just in case I'm wrong, that's gross. Um, but, But Jesus has said the Holy Spirit's going to empower you for the ministry. They're not even interested in that. They want to get to the kingdom. That's where they want to go. I I think it's really hard to not get in our own way sometimes as followers of Jesus. The fact is that God has never abandoned his people without clear instructions on what they are to do while he's away. And I want to be clear, we all know that he doesn't abandon us, but he's not physically here either. So I need you to, to think maturely and let's not get into theological debate over whether Jesus is here. The truth is Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, who's seated on his throne, and the Holy Spirit inhabits us. I want to go ahead and throw something out that we're going to be talking about a lot. Somebody said this this last week. I loved last Sunday's message because it was about the Holy Spirit, and we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. The book of Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. You're going to love our study of the Holy Spirit. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. You can say, Holy Spirit, I'm about to be fired. Help me know what to say. Besides, you can't fire me. you, You ask him. He's there. He's living in you. He He inhabits you. When people come up to you and they want you to pray for them out of the blue, that makes total sense because like they used to go to the temple in the Old Testament for prayer, now they come to the temple in the New Testament, which is you. You are the temple of God. That's what we do. But I believe that one of the weak. One of the biggest weaknesses, and this is just my opinion of the church, is that we have built these wonderful cathedrals over the next uh, week. Uh, Julie and I are hoping to uh, visit a cathedral in, um, in New Mexico where there's a this, there's this staircase that was built out of one piece of wood. I mean, it's this gorgeous cathedral. And through history, Christians have built these amazing places. And if you go to Europe, they're glorious. And even if you go to—I mean, I think in America we have some amazing ones. One of the my favorite places in New Orleans is is the cathedral in that big square that's famous. That Catholic church—it's—it's it's gorgeous. We love to go to Natchitoches and go to the Catholic churches or the the more traditional churches and look at how how wonderful they are. But the problem is, as as we have built these glorious ca- glorious cathedrals, and now today's cathedral isn't uh, isn't usually high church cathedrals, it's, uh, it's, it's family centers with amazing investments or children's buildings, which have every toy they could imagine. What they have become is not places that spur us on to love and good deeds and then to go out there and minister. They become hiding places for us. Safe spaces for the church, if I can call them that. We want to give, come out from the world and we want to hide in the church so the church keeps offering more Christian stuff for you to keep you from interacting with the world. One of the problems that I have with young people today who, keep, who come to me and tell me they want to be in ministry is don't leave the world. You can minister in the world. Be an engineer. Work in IT. Be a, be a whatever it is God's called you to do. Be a teacher. You know, while... The church wants to litigate prayer in schools. You must demand. We have the right to pray in schools. I want you to know that a child of God living in the Spirit never stops praying. There is prayer in schools. You take it there. There is prayer in politics if you're political. If we are men and women of God, we can't abandon the world for safe places of the church. We need to take God to them. And I think sometimes... The problem with this is, while the disciples, and, and maybe I'm overplaying this part a little bit, it says that they strained and looked up into heaven. So Jesus ascends, and we talked as a Bible study group last Sunday night. That must have been totally weird. I mean, they have seen Jesus stop storms. They've seen them, uh, him raise the dead, heal the sick, make the, li- uh, the, the blind see the lame walk. He has, uh, he has himself died and resurrected. And when they just had figured out they'd seen it all, now they're standing there talking to him, and he floats up into the sky. That is, that is some weird mojo. I mean, we look at it because we know the story, and we look back and we kind of go, yeah, wow, that would have been crazy. But, but think about what these guys are thinking. They're standing on this hillside, debating with Jesus about when he's going to return, and he floats up. And it tells us their reaction. They stare into the sky, and it says that they're straining to look and you can decide what that means but to me it means they're looking for him to come back they're hoping to see his toes i know he went now he's coming they're just waiting and why do i think that because god sent angels to say go don't stay do what he told you to stay it's not time i i know you want him to come back he's not coming back go to jerusalem They they don't think about going to Jerusalem because they're still waiting for Jesus to come back. And it's what we do. We freeze in place when the world gets freaky. We are presently living in amazing times of America. And it even got crazier this weekend. It's okay to laugh. I'm not making little of it. I'm sorry for the death of the Supreme Court Justice, but, oh my gosh! Next, bring in the bees from Japan! I mean, this is nuts. If you thought the rhetoric of the election was bad, now just wait till Thursday of this week. I mean, it is going to get crazy from the right to the left. We are living in scary, weird, crazy times. But nonetheless, this is amazing. Do you realize the Holy One, the Sovereign One, the One who sees the beginning from the end, the Alpha and Omega, Jesus Christ who never changes, do you realize that He has chosen you to live at such a time like this? You have been chosen, just like Esther, to live at such a time as this. He has positioned us to live in this season. And while it's scary and the temptation is going to be what what many say, stare up to heaven and go, He must be coming back because this ain't good. The reverse of that is, when did we think God left us here because life would be easier here? Please understand, any moment God wants, He can take us to heaven. That's the perfect place of peace. There's no sickness. There's no crying. There's no politics. It's, It's a theocracy. God's in charge with justice and grace and mercy. There's no social discord. There's nothing there that you hate. You don't ever have to worry about getting sick. You'll never have to wait for a doctor again. You don't have to go to the pharmacy and pay for medicines. Everything that you are struggling with right now, you'll never have to wear another mask again. Which, by the way, I want to thank those of you who are wearing masks. It means a lot to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that there's a lot of you who don't believe the mask wearing is good, but I I just really appreciate you doing that. And most of you have, and it means a lot. You don't get the conversations I have with people. And I know that it's, it's annoying to you, but just so you know, it means a lot to the other people in the church. Thank you for doing that. Back to our subject, though. None of that's going to be in heaven. None of that. And God could take us there at any moment. He wants to. He could take us there. But He has chosen not to. So I thought it would be a good week to take and dive in very specifically and practically at how in the past, and look, it didn't just happen with these disciples going, I mean, their life were now a mess. You realize that they gave up everything to follow Jesus for three and a half years, right? Right? you realize that when they go into Jerusalem, they have no friends. It tells us that on Sunday of the Pentecost, and we'll get into that, there were only 120 of them in the upper room. It tells us that hundreds saw his resurrection, and he was in the Jerusalem area, but there's only 120 worshiping in the upper room. I have no idea what happened to the other hundreds. All I know is there were only 120 worshiping on the day of Pentecost. So it's a small group. And at Pentecost, the city would have swollen from 100,000 to, to maybe a million people for the celebration of Pentecost. More on that later. But you understand that the Jews want them dead or arrested, silenced, and the Romans don't want problems in the town. And, so, and they are known to kill people who cause revolutions. So these followers of Jesus, these faithful men and women, these 120 are going to be surrounded in Jerusalem by uh, by enemies. No wonder they wanted Christ to return. And they're scared. But this wasn't the first time in history where, where the task of fully devoted followers of God are asked to live in an uncomfortable time. Where they're asked to minister. And you know what the ministry is. I'm not going to spend much time on that this morning. Because we've been going through it. Our task, the disciples' task which is to make disciples or fully devoted followers of Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, and developing them into people who also develop, make fully devoted followers of Christ, who baptize people in the name of the Trinity, who also develop fully devoted followers of Christ, baptizing them in the Trinity. I'd go on and on. That's the task. That's the task of the church. That was the task of the apostles. That's the task. That's our task. It's what we do. And for the most part, I think most of us are okay with that. Um, But I think most of us who have been on mission trips, I think we're used to going over there where it's chaotic. We go to the border of Mexico where poverty reigns and we feed people and clothe them. We go to India and we work with orphans. We send missionaries to places where the world is chaos. But what happens is we come home and we relax because it's safe here. We know what to expect in our country. Well, what happens if all the things that are making you nervous right now actually come to fruition? What happens if our country, the place that we have counted on forever, actually becomes a banana republic? What happens If everything that we do is watched by the government and outlawed to some degree, what happens? The problem is we're so used to going over there and living in chaos for a week and doing ministry and then coming back and letting our hair down, we don't even think about the fact that the day might be coming where chaos might be our home. And then what do we do with our calling? What do we do with our calling, our task of making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, and training them to make disciples who baptize in the name of the Trinity? What happens to our task when we don't have a safe place anymore? Well, that isn't a new experience for followers of of Jehovah God. In fact, the Bible is clear over and over from the beginning of time that that's been the case. The post-Christian era for believers was a scary time. But it wasn't the first time for God's faithful servants where they were in a position they didn't want to be in. I'm going to take you throughout the Old Testament to a couple places to show this to you. The first one is going to be familiar with you. It's Jeremiah 29. And, And to be clear, the Jews at this time want their home to be their promised land. But they're in exile. They have been kidnapped by the Babylonians. They are taken out of their homeland and they are taken into captivity into another land. And they are pleading and they are begging with God to please restore them. To make things worse for them. Some self-proclaimed prophets, false prophets actually, stand up among the Hebrew people who are in exile and they proclaim the deliverance of the Lord is at hand and he will take them back to the promised land within two years. Boy, does that sound familiar. That God's return is near. He's going to restore the kingdom. That they are to simply wait and prepare themselves to return to the Holy Land and watch God work. So God instructs his real prophet, Jeremiah, to write a letter. And that is Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 11. You can follow along on the screen with me. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Jumping down to the third verse. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to the captives. He has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Did you catch it? I want you to note, first of all, what God said to them. The first thing he wants Jeremiah to tell them and to explain is what King James says is, it's translated, whom I have caused to be carried away. The NIV, translated as those I carried into exile. The New American Standard says, all those that I have sent. In other words, the, the Hebrew is very, very clear that they are not in Babylonian captivity by accident, by the turn of things, by the way the world goes. He wants them first and foremost to understand that he is the one who exiled them into the evil hands of the evil Babylonians. Where they demand that they don't act like Hebrews. Where they they demand that they don't do Hebraic obedience to the law. God sent them. He didn't allow them to be exiled. There's a big debate in the church today over, is I know God is sovereign, but is is He in control? Well, I don't even know what the heck that means. Well, maybe He's in control, but He's not in command. Are you kidding me? Now we're excusing away God's actions. God wanted the Hebrews to know, first and foremost, that they were not there by accident. They were not there by by just some whim of humanity, by the spin of the the globe. They were there because he had sent them there. So now that that is clear, here's his message to them. Verse 5 of Jeremiah 29. Build homes, plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry, have children. In fact, then find spouses for your children. So you're going to give birth to kids. I want them to grow up here, and they're going to have find spouses for them so that you can have many, many grandchildren. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. Can you imagine what these people are thinking? I'll tell you what I always think that they're thinking. Excuse me, Pastor Jeremiah, Prophet Jeremiah, I don't know what they call them, Sir, we like the other prophets' advice better. I mean, if we get to choose prophets... We choose the guy who says in two years we get to go back to the Holy Land. We don't want the prophet that's telling us to live here that God exiled us and to have kids and to prosper. That's, that's not really our liking. So we choose prophet number one. But God isn't done with this letter to them. Verse 7 work for the peace and prosperity of the city where. Yeah, uh oh. I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare for its welfare determines your welfare. Excuse me, have you studied Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, how wicked they were? You think America is wicked. You ain't seen nothing until you've read about the Babylonians. These were a wicked, evil, immoral, unethical, murderous people. And God is telling them, not only did he send them into exile, but he wants them to stay. He wants them to have children, have their children have children, marry them off, grow a huge group of Hebrews, and on top of it, I want you to bless them by praying for their success. Make them successful. What? The more we hear from God, the people must have thought, the more we really like the false prophet. We like what he says. The words from God aren't so comforting. Verse 8, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. What? They did this all in the name of Jehovah. They're wearing yarmulkes. How can we not trust them? They seem like godly people. They're doing a good work. They have a televangelist ministry. And besides, we really like their message better than yours. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, and then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Just pause there for a second. Actually, in 70 years... That's when Nehemiah comes along and explains to them, and God explains to Nehemiah to tell the people that in uh, like so many years he's going to send the Messiah and that will be the fulfillment of his promise. So he doesn't even restore them completely in 70 years. You see, people have a plan and God has a bigger plan. In fact, verse 11. Why am I doing it this way? Because I know the plans that I have for you. Take a breath right there. I know the plans that I have for you. We've combined this. This is every graduate who doesn't study the Scripture puts this verse on their church graduation verse. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. And that's how they know they're supposed to go to school to be a vet. Because God wants me to make a billion dollars. I'm going to help succeed. And then I'm going to give back to the church. But I want you to remember that this text This verse is in the context of your staying in Babylon for 70 more years and in a wicked place and it's going to be really rough and they're going to persecute you like you can't believe and I don't want you to listen to false prophets telling you that God's going to return. Now you can't tell me having read this right now that you don't see similarities to today. You're very smart people. I want you you to think on the Lord's instructions one more time to the Jews in exile in this wicked foreign land. Make a life for yourselves there. Build a house. Plant gardens. Eat their fruit. That means it's going to be a while. There's going to be a garden to grow and fruit to eat. Have a family. Marry off your kids. Instruct them to have kids and live. Wow, we're going to be here long enough now to have kids and grandkids. Well, he gives a date, 70 years. Be a godly citizen by succeeding your community even though it's wicked and praying for success. Lord, why wouldn't you just take us back to our homeland and we can do all those things there? And the Lord's response is verse 11, because I know the plans I have for you. The plans I have for you. They're not plans centered on your wants, desires, and comfort. They're plans centered on my plan. We just sang this morning about God's sovereignty and control and that his love for us has overwhelmed us. The question is, has his love overwhelmed you enough where you're willing to go through with his plan? You see, I guess at that moment, the Hebrew people had to ask themselves, do I trust the plans of the Lord? Because what he said at the end, his summary statement is, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. They're just not the plans you want. Do they trust the plans of the Lord? But this isn't the only time this kind of thing happens either. I want to take you to Exodus chapter 14. Uh, this is, this is, they're at the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are about to surround them, and the Jews have just left with the Passover, and they are, you know, they're about to be taken to the Holy Land, and this is what happens. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Please notice, the Lord hardened Pharaoh. The heart of Pharaoh. Now we can argue all day what that means, but it might mean just what it says, that God had a plan for what was about to happen. Then the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all the horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore of the Red Sea, Near, uh, near A couple of places I don't need to try to pronounce. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up, and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough, graves for, enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? We loved it there. I added that. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone, Moses. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Makes humanly sense, actually. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. This is a meme, by the way. This is a verse that is on Facebook all the time. So pay special attention. This is the kind of verse that you tell each other in hope to make you feel better if your life is bad. So Moses tells the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. And that's a great verse. And it sounds like a biblical verse. Sounds like a good thing for a pastor to share until the Lord speaks. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm, Moses told the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to keep moving. I want to pause. I really, really want you to get this. In the first story, we have false prophets telling people that God's going to redeem them in two years and take them back to the Holy Land. God never said that, and He speaks against them. Now you have Moses, our hero, actually telling the people to stop, relax, watch what God's going to do. He's going to take care of them. That sounds like a message I might preach. Just stand back and watch. And God rebukes him for that. Why do you keep crying out to me? I told you what to do. Step in the water. Don't pray. Walk. (laughs) That's going to be my next message series. Stop praying. Well, here's a question, the big question. Of course, God's not telling Moses he doesn't want to hear from him. But what he's telling him is, you've become so lenient on me for what you want, you're not obedient. Now, let me put all these three stories together. You've got the Hebrew followers of Jesus a few days uh, while he ascends still standing and not really obeying. And I I know, know Zach Wilkie, you're going to get in my face about that. You need to give him a break. I get it. I'm giving them a break. They're just human. And they're doing exactly what Mark Wilkie would have done. I think I see him on cloud nine. I would wait, but that doesn't make it okay. Remember the night in the boat where the storm comes on and the boat is sinking and Jesus is sleeping? And they wake him up mad and they say, don't you care, we're going to drown. And Jesus looks up at him and he calms the storm and he looks at him and says, when are you going to trust me? And they all fall to the back of the boat saying, who is this man that even the waves and the sea obey him? Now look, I'd have waken him up too and I'd have been mad too. But the truth is, Jesus is looking at them going, I told you to go to the other side. I didn't say go to the middle, find a storm and panic. He didn't tell the disciples to wait there until two angels come. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. He didn't tell tell the the, the Jews in exile to the Babylonians to pray for deliverance, even though it's okay to pray for deliverance. But he didn't tell them to listen to false prophets. He sent the right prophet to tell them, don't expect to be delivered. I've got good plans for you. They're going to be hard, though. And how about this? The Lord didn't tell Moses and the people to go to the Red Sea and die. He told them to go to the Red Sea and trust him. God had a plan. He does what I would have done. It's okay, church. It's okay. And then he goes alone into his tent and goes, what are you doing? I'd have done the same thing, but it's still the wrong thing. You see, I think sometimes we build these cathedrals and we say they're for the glory of God, but they're actually for the glory of His church. And I think we, we, we say we're going to build big children's centers and, and fun places so that the lost will come, but we really don't build them for them. We build them for our own kids because they deserve the best of the best. I think sometimes we build family centers with workout centers so we don't have to go with the dirty people. I do. I think we do that. I don't think we think we're doing that, but I think the truth is we don't like the world. All right, pastor, I get it. I get your point. But what does that have to do with me? Now, I'm going to walk with you in the two minutes I have remaining because my vacation starts at 22. I'm kidding. I want to take you on a walk through the New Testament, and I want to remind you. So the question Moses had, it. okay, so let me take you back. So the um, if if the exiles in Babylon had to decide if they trust in um, I, I want in the plans of the Lord because he had good plans, then Moses had to decide if he trusted in the words of the Lord. Right? He has to decide that. I want you to look at 1 Peter two eleven. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul. Well, that, that doesn't have anything to do with this, Pastor. It, it actually does. Because one of the things that we really have to get to, and it goes back to Jesus' teaching, seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean we're not politically concerned. It doesn't mean we're not morally concerned or we're not ethically concerned. But what he is saying is our first and foremost thing needs to be the kingdom of God. So we need to change our worldview. We need to see things from God's point of view instead of our own. And when we can't see things from God's point of view, we need to shut up and trust him. Not panic. Because in here, he tells us to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against our very souls. And in every message I've ever preached on this text, it's always so don't lust, don't commit adultery, don't lie, cheat, or steal. I mean, I go through a list of things that you should and shouldn't do, but they're all sin. Well, I think there's another one, and that is waging those things, that uh, worldly desires that wage war against my soul is me trying to make heaven on earth. Trying to make this so comfortable and safe for me that I really don't have to do all the ministry or life isn't a risk. I mean, it may be that God wants us at risk, so we cry out to him like Moses, so we depend on him, so that we look to him for hope. Maybe the biggest struggle Mark Wilkie has in his life is not porn or not mind or thoughts or or resentment or hate or anger or frustration with the political climate of this country. Maybe the biggest struggle that Mark Wilkie has is actually hoping that this country will provide me a, a place of safety so that when I go to ministry, I can come back and relax as if I've gone to heaven. Heaven is our place of rest. That's where we go. I want to remind you that God didn't just take us home for a very specific reason. In John 17, we just studied that, 13 to 18. Let me read this for you. Now I am coming to you, Father. He's praying to his dad. And I told them, the disciples, the followers, many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them. Because they do not belong to the world. Just, just pause for a second. The reason the world is going to hate us is not because of our pro-life stand. It's not because we stand for a traditional biblical marriage, man and woman, godly man to godly woman, sacred marriage. It's not going to be because we're white. It's not going to be because you're a brown person who loves Jesus or a black person who loves Jesus. That's not why the world hates you. That's the excuses they give. They hate you because they are convicted by you as the temple of the Holy Spirit. They're reminded of their sin when they come in the presence of holiness. And by the way, you're not holy, God's holy. I have been declared holy. But when sinners come in the presence of righteousness, that's why you hear all over today, I'm not going to church, they're judgmental. No, what's judgmental? is the Holy Spirit that convicts you of your sinful life. You can't be sinful and righteous at the same time. One of those things owns you. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world now I am sending them into the world. What? So I have to start by understanding that I am an alien and stranger. My, I'm not YOLO. I'm not looking to live once. I'm living twice, and my second life in eternity in heaven—that's my safe place. This is my mission field, and now you know why. Because I've been sent into this place in the United States of America in East Texas to present Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, Savior of the world, to any man, woman, and child who wants it. That's my message. Jesus is talking to his, uh, his father just hours before his arrest and he tells his father that we are not of the world any more than he is and that as he sent Jesus into the world, Jesus has now sent us. That we are in exile here in America for a reason in East Texas and I want to argue more difficult to serve here in East Texas because everybody thinks they're saved because they were baptized at fourth grade in a Christian church in VBS and they may or may not have ever given their life to him but they did the religious thing. And it is hard to help people understand that the fruit of your flesh determines who owns you. Do Christians sin? Sure we sin, but we don't stay there. Judas and Peter struggled with the same sin on the days of Jesus' death, but one ran back to Jesus. The difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is not sinfulness. It is where you go when sin is in your face. You run back to Jesus. In our ministry... We've been sitting in the world like Jesus. Well, what's that task? 2 Corinthians 5. For we know, now listen to all this. Paul is going to explain how his view of humans has changed, how his view of God has changed, how his view of himself has changed. So listen as I read this. For we know that when the earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present, present bodies. Are you tired yet? You got, I, I was with a bunch of guys at a movie on Friday night um, when I got a text that, uh, that the Supreme Court had lost uh, somebody on the bench. And I... My first thought is, you've got to be kidding me. I thought it was ugly yesterday. It's going to get really ugly next week as soon as they put her in the ground. But that was this. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of masks and viruses and Christians hating on each other and Facebook and Instagram, and I'm, I'm tired of people telling others that they're a love movement and burning cities down. I'm tired of it. And I read this and I go, well, okay. Yeah, I'm supposed to be tired of it. It's always been tiring for the man or woman whose eyes are on heaven. We grow tired in our present bodies and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing, For we will put on heavenly bodies and we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. Are you not groaning and sighing, my friends? Does that not describe your life right now? I mean, when you open the newspaper, many of you are not watching the news. When you turn on Fox News again, do you not go, oh my gosh, that's the other half of the article I heard two years ago? Nothing has changed. We groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies of clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up with life. We want to live. God himself has prepared for us for, the, us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not, we are not home with the Lord. For we will live by believing and not seeing. That's how we live. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies and then we will be at home with the Lord. This isn't about flesh. He's talking about where we are. Peace, hope, safety. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged and we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in the earthly bodies. Verse 11, because we understand our fear for responsibility to the Lord now, we work hard to persuade others. So now Paul's explaining why he lives the way he does. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know it too. Are we commending ourselves to you again, or are we bragging? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Here we go. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. In other words, he is saying that when I look at people burning down cities, I'm not merely looking at anarchists. When I see people who are living immorally, I'm not just looking at prostitutes or adulterers or drug addicts, or I'm not merely looking at political opponents or people who believe things I think are dumb about viruses. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, and he's specifically talking about how we see people. The old life is gone. This new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And he has now given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In other words, they aren't anarchists. They're people Jesus died for. They're not prostitutes. They're people Jesus died for. They're not race hucksters. They're people Jesus died for. They're not doctors who commit abortions. They're people Jesus died for. They're not drug addicts. They're people Jesus died for. They're not political opponents. They're people Jesus died for. They're not silly little people living in fear of government control of their lives over masks. They're people Jesus died for. I no longer look at people, Paul says, from a human point of view, but I have lived, I, I'm in a new life. I see them differently. So we are Christ's ambassadors, verse 20 says. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin, so that we can be made right with God through Christ. So in other words, because I've experienced grace I don't deserve, my job now is not to just make America the greatest place on the planet. First and foremost, my job is to introduce people to the greatest king of all times, who has a kingdom that they can be a part of, who paid the price for their adoption and their new citizenship, and it's my job to introduce them. So while I try to save America, while I act out in my political uh, best interest, what I think is best for the country. I have to remember that first and foremost, my responsibility as a citizen of the kingdom is to first do kingdom work and then do it. And that means you can't be acting like you're all-knowing on the internet. There is nothing uglier on the internet than an arrogant Christian who sends half-hearted truths out there to make people look stupid. There's no excuse for that. That is sin. That is the sin of self-righteousness. And it's got to stop. And I know not many of you do it, but we have to guard ourselves because it's fixing to get weirder. What do you want me to do? I want you to tell them about me. Do you know how immoral it could get? Do you know we could go socialist if if Biden ends up as president? I do know that. Well, aren't you concerned, God? Not really. Why aren't you concerned? Because you're not a citizen there. You're a citizen here. And my kingdom isn't a democracy either. It's a theocracy. And if you're a citizen of my kingdom, this is what I expect from you. To stop looking at people from a worldly point of view. All right, bringing it back around. You've got the disciples going, are you coming back now? I told you to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to be my witnesses. You've got the exiles in Babylon going, is God going to come take us back to the Holy Land? No, you're going to have babies. You're going to have, those babies are going to marry off and they're going to have babies. I want you to grow fruit. I want you to make this land, this evil, wicked kingdom successful. Well, why should I do that? Because I've got a plan for you. And that plan is a good plan. It's the same thing with Moses. God, the people have a good point. They're complaining that you took us out of Egypt and it looks like we're all going to drown. You know, we didn't have any time to learn how to swim and you want us to step into the Red Sea. No, I want you to trust me. Stop praying and walk. And that's where we find ourselves. My friends, messengers of reconciliation, it is our job first and foremost to tell people about hope in Jesus, not hope in a Republican America or a Democrat America. Hope is not found in a pro-life country. Hope is not found in a country that, that just values marriage between a man and a woman. Hope is found in Jesus. A gentleman in our community posted yesterday that the first and and most basic responsibility of the church is to make sure that the right people get in office. That is a lie. The most important thing we do as a church is to tell people that they can be part of a kingdom whose king is just and fair and righteous and the healer and the great one. First Thessalonians 416 to 18 Paul wrote this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds together to meet him in the, the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So here's the encouragement for you this morning. Whether you die first or he comes back to get you, you will go home. There will be no sickness there. There will be no injustice. There will be no difficulty. You will be with the Lord forever. That is your hope. And our job is to take as many people with us as we can. Final passage and thought. Even if you suffer for doing what's good, 1 Peter 3 says, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if somebody asks you asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Be prepared. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. I love that verse. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they, they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good If that is what God wants them to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. So the point of this message? Keep walking. No matter who wins the election or what happens to the United States of America in the next few years, be an ambassador for Christ because that's where your home really is. As the Father sent the Son into the world, so now He was sent us to be ambassadors of our King and our homeland. So go live. Keep walking the Jesus walk. Keep praying and keep watching for His return. And don't listen to people who keep selling books over and over to tell you that He's coming a week from Friday. They have been wrong 100% of the time. Quit buying their books. We will send them food if they starve. Quit listening to false prophets because it's what they are. And by the way, here's how they get around that. I don't claim to be a prophet or anything, but I'm telling you, I've been studying and I know that's a cop-out. That's how they don't get stoned to death by the Hebrew elders. Just know God through His Word. You guys, it's not going to be long until we see our Father face to face. At worst case, it's going to be 80 years. You're all not taking very good care of yourself. Soon we're going to go home. And all of this will be what C.S. Lewis called the shadow lands. Be faithful. Spend every day of your life sharing Christ. Julie and I are about to go on vacation. But I don't get off on vacation. I'm still going as a missionary of the king so that whether I'm buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks or I get in a conversation at a grocery store or a diner, my opportunity to share Christ with them is very significant to kingdom work. It's not my job to get them saved. It is my job to witness to the truth. So go get them. It is four minutes till 11. And that means I didn't go long because I'm leaving for vacation. (laughs) Julie says I'm not leaving for vacation right now. She says, calm down. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. Actually, we're thankful that you love us and that you use people like Moses and the Hebrew people and even the disciples who who kept having a want in in their flesh. They kept asking you to do what they wanted. You didn't give up on us, Father. You just kept telling us over and over what you wanted us to do. And I want to thank you this morning as we wrap up for our little friends in this room who did so good this morning and their moms who freaked out. Thank you for the courage to come into this place Thank you that we could gather together as a family and listen to each other sing and hear your word. And now, oh God, I pray that your Holy Spirit that lives within your children would speak to us and guide us and direct us and use us for your glory according to your plan. And that when our work is done, you will take us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See you in a couple of weeks. Have a great Sunday.